I know that it's the best thing for our clients to have a bright, young person with integrity there to help them when I'm not around, rather than just letting things slow down naturally without a transition plan. So that's the direction we headed. And again, I don't know that it's perfect, but that's how we're doing it. Welcome back to Beyond the Portfolio. I'm your host, Jim Edward. Over the last two seasons, we've talked a lot about how RAAs can manage their client relationships, build their businesses, and run effective practices. But once you've successfully done all that, what comes next? How should you be looking to the future? And how can you make sure that you've left your firm in the right hands? Joining us today to share his story and his perspective on planning for his own retirement is Bill Gettings of Gettings Reed Financial in Lafayette, Indiana. Bill, great to have you here. Thank you. Glad to be here. Bill, can you start by telling us about your career as an advisor? How did you get to where you are now? I started my career in 1982 in Chicago, working for an insurance company, helping their agents set up qualified retirement plans. I did that for a couple years and then decided to become a life insurance agent while still dealing with 401k plans and was able to kind of find a niche in the retirement planning area. Uh, And I moved to Indianapolis, got married, and for the first 20 years of my career focused for the most part on life insurance and very little on investments other than in the 401k plans. My father was in the life insurance business and kind of guided me into that business. And he had a successful practice. And the idea was initially that I'd take over his practice. And I did for the most part. He successfully retired about 20 years ago, but I had grown my own practice along the way. And although I certainly paid attention to his clients because of my own hard work and ability to meet people and grow the business. Uh, I ended up growing my own business uh, about the same size as my father's when he retired, but we were not in the asset-based business. As he was retiring, I realized that I was more independent and and I needed to have uh, my own office for my own sanity. And so uh, I found my way to an independent brokerage firm and literally started with zero assets. And so over a 15-year period, we were fortunate enough to grow our assets. And when we uh, finally left that brokerage firm to merge into our own RIA, together with my partners, we have close to $200 million in assets. Since you were such a key part of your dad's succession plan, did that influence how you've approached your own transition? I was fortunate that my dad taught me to recognize the need to have someone come in behind you to take care of your clients and to provide the ideal exit strategy. But to do that, it means you've got to have somebody alongside you either to learn or that you can groom. I'm fortunate that I have a business associate who's just a few years younger than me, but he and I really will leave the business uh, roughly at the same time. Together, we found a bright young MBA graduate from Purdue University several years ago who we approached, we thought it would be terrific because he had an interest in finance. 
if we could hand pick him to be the individual who helps take over our practice. And I called him and told him that if he ever decided to move back to Lafayette, we'd like to have that discussion. Initially, he was warm to the idea, but wasn't ready. About two years after we made the initial contact, Scott called and said he was being promoted and he had a job offer to move into Manhattan and he had to make a decision. And Lafayette, Indiana versus Manhattan for a young guy, that's a tough one. (laughs) (laughs) I had to pay him and pay him well to lure him back to Lafayette, Indiana from the East Coast and was willing to do so knowing that it's an investment. Scott is operating as our chief compliance officer, and he's helped with all the technology that I didn't know uh, because young people just know technology better than old people. (laughs) (laughs) I have introduced Scott to all of our clients as we've done reviews. Initially, people still talk to me and would call me, and it takes time to say, well, Scott can handle that, or in my absence, would you do me a favor and please talk with Scott? So what I've tried to do along the way is talk about us and we rather than me. Over time, people are beginning to know him. He has a different style than I do, and that's good, and that's okay. And the idea is that the business will slowly shift to him between now and somewhere around my 70th, 72nd birthday, I know that it's the best thing for our clients to have a bright, young person with integrity there to help them when I'm not around, rather than just letting things slow down naturally without a transition plan. So that's the direction we headed And again, I don't know that it's perfect, but that's how we're doing it. When you introduced Scott to your clients for the first time, what was their reaction? Did they feel good knowing that this plan was being put in motion, since this transition is about them too? I'll tell you a story. Our largest client has been a friend of mine for 30 years since college, and I was fortunate to have some of his assets, but he had another advisor that he worked with before I was doing that part of the business. As my client received a significant buyout to retire, he moved half of the assets to us and the other half to the uh, other advisor. Within a week of all the assets hitting and before the first statements came out, I called and said, I'd like to take you guys to lunch. And his wife was nervous. She said, what's up? And I said, oh, I simply want to go over the statements so you can learn them. She said, oh, thank you. Well, when we got to lunch, I said, you seemed anxious. What's going on? She said, our other advisor called and asked to take us to lunch. He showed up with an individual and he said, I'm retiring. I want to introduce you to your new advisor. That is not the way to handle that, in my opinion. And they didn't know the individual. And literally, it was within 20 minutes that they decided that they were going to move those assets to us. Oh, wow. That left a mark or a memory that I shall never forget. And so as I introduce Scott to our clients, 
the discussion is very easy. Bill, when are you planning on retiring? I said, we really don't have a definite plan, but sometime between now and my 72nd birthday, and I'm 64, so it's about eight years out, but I definitely will slow down, but I want you to know just because I'm slowing down or something happens to me, you've got Scott right here ready to take over. Over time, that becomes more and more evident and more and more comfortable, and that's the perfect world. Over the years, as these conversations have been going on, was there a moment that you recall where one of your clients perhaps asked, like, well, what, is, what does Scott think? You know, has that, has that sort of started to happen over the years, I imagine? It has with one of my very best friends. He owns a highly successful company in Indianapolis, and he is a very dear friend. He has more than once said to me, well, why don't you have Scott call me? And then one time I looked at him, I said, hey, I'm still your advisor. And he said, well, you think you are. (laughs) (laughs) And no, it's all good. It's all good. That to me is the perfect story when someone does say that. It warms my heart that they do because I know that that's one less person I'll have to worry about. I mean, I can imagine sometimes letting go a little bit is is difficult in this transition, but it seems like your head is about it in this way. And so this is good forward movement. There's a tremendous trust there that, look, this didn't happen his first month. He's been here for four years. He knows what we do. And in many situations, he's brighter than I am. So it's a good thing. Let's talk about what sort of retirement you have planned for yourself. How do you think you'll transition away from working so much? My wife and I, we love this town and this community. We have no desire to buy a home in Florida and live there six months out of the year. We're going to go to Palm Springs for three weeks in January. But by the end of that three weeks, I'll be anxious to get home. And in retirement, I see myself still active in the community, um, certainly playing a bit more, certainly traveling a little bit more, seeing our grandchildren a bit more. But at the same time, it's the same things that we're doing now just in different proportions. And I, I think that engagement will keep us younger, will keep us healthier, and keep us happier. Working remotely has been a terrific dry run for what retirement's going to be like. <laughs> we spend a lot of time on the phone with clients. We spend a lot of time you know, uh, on our laptops and and on our clients' portfolios, but we really haven't spent much time out in the community, which is how we've grown our business, is by being active, being outside, meeting and seeing people and saying we ought to get together. Because we don't do seminars. We don't do a lot of uh, media or anything like that. Our business has grown because people see us, they know us. And as we meet with our clients, they send referrals. But when that's not happening, We're not growing. I've viewed that as kind of a dry run for my retirement. But where I look at it differently is I still want to be active in retirement in spreading the news about Gettings Read. I don't want to be in the day-to-day management of assets. I don't want to be in the day-to-day payroll. I don't want to be in the office. What I want to be is in our community, keeping our name in the community. And that's where I see my role, and that's how I see it changing over time, is that 
I need to be involved, but I don't need to be running the show. What will make you feel really comfortable knowing you've left your business in the right hands and it's okay to step away? I had a client that called me in a tizzy because they're considering buying a a second home on the West Coast. And one came up that they really want, and it was going to strap them of their cash to put some money down. She asked me the question, should I do it? And I said, you've got to answer that question. I said, I can't tell you that. I said, I do know that just like a bus, there'll be another one along, but I'm not emotionally invested in it as you are. So I said, sleep on it. Whatever we need to do to move assets, we'll do it. Just sleep on it and and let's talk tomorrow. And she texted me, I think two or three times uh, that she was nervous. And so I called her back because we don't like to do things via text. And I said, you know, sleep on it again. Long story short, she decided not to proceed. She said it would just, it would just stress me out too much were her words. And I called her back and I said, because I know she is an excellent gardener and she has a home with so many plants. It's amazing. And I called her and I said, hey, do me a favor. I said, go spend a couple hours outside in your garden. And she said, thank you. And that's where we left it. Now, my answer to your question is, I hope that I can communicate to Scott how to treat clients that way, as opposed to talk about the numbers. (laughs) I'm not so sure when I was 30 that I would have said to a client, hey, go spend some time with your flowers. But as a 63-year-old, soon to be 64, I can say it and say it comfortably because people know me and they know that's what's on my mind. So I hope to communicate to Scott the personal side of the business. You know, when we meet with clients, yes, it's important that we manage their assets according to their wishes. And it's important that we direct them where they should be directed so that it can accomplish what they want, not what we want. But at the same time, once we accomplish that, let's appeal to the human side. And that's what I want to communicate. And that's what I can help. It sounds like you've picked up a lot of good advice to get to where you are today. My practice, like most successful advisors, is really a mosaic of several tiles over my 30-year career, career as a life insurance agent and career as a wealth manager and financial planner. Over that time, I cannot tell you the number of meetings that I've been to where a colleague would share an idea or a concept that I took and said, I like that. And I implemented that into my practice. If I had to describe what I do and do well, listening to people, asking better questions, telling a better story to make a point, all those are a tile here or a tile from this meeting. And one might have been a great idea from one associate and another from a a meeting. And when you put all those tiles together, it can make a beautiful mosaic or a very beautiful picture and paint a picture of someone's career. And that's how I've grown. 
through reading, through listening to podcasts, through participating in meetings, we all piece together a pretty magnificent piece of art that is our careers. And I think that's true with any profession. And I think it's a good way to look at how we grow. And the other part about that, if you think about it, that's interesting is it might even be an unfinished mosaic. There might be a few tiles missing because we don't know the next step entirely. And that could be the transition. I think that's an excellent analogy and really just a beautiful way to look at your career as a whole. When you think about the mosaic, I know you have pride in what you've built. I know you feel good about Scott and his well-being matters to you as well. But are you nervous? Are you ready? What are some of the emotions you have looking forward? Actually, most of the emotions that I have are, are, are proud emotions. I'm proud of Scott. Uh, happy emotions. I'm happy that he's here. When you think about exit strategies, it's funny how they always lead with, here's what you can get for your practice, one and a half or two times. Well, that's great right then and there, but it isn't about the money. At least I don't think it should be. I think it should be a little bit bigger than that. What's your plan? Well, my plan is that those clients who worked with us for years continue to be fulfilled and happy with who's handling their business going forward. It takes a little guts to go hire someone and pay them. And I think it's necessary. But when you do, most people who invest in their business find that after a year or two later, their business has grown beyond what they invested in. And that's how I view bringing in somebody to take over your practice and doing it over a period of time so there's no surprise and you are of one mind. I am not the least bit concerned about how this practice will continue. It will evolve as the business evolves, but it would have evolved with me here. So I'm very comfortable and I feel that we're in a good position and I know that uh, I will be fine financially, that our clients will be cared for, and I know that Scott will be happy. What advice would you share with other advisors who might be getting close to their retirement? Each advisor has to uh, look at their own unique circumstances. So my way isn't the right way for everybody by any means. But I would simply suggest that they look at it and say, what would their clients want? and start there. Uh, would their clients want them to sell the practice? Would their clients want them to leave them with somebody in good hands? Would their clients want them to continue as the advisor as they age? Start there and see where that takes you. And then I'd say, make those decisions in your client's best interest and in your best interest, but weigh both of those. Don't tilt it just to you. We say here, other firms may do it better, but I don't think anybody else has as much fun as hmm. we have. We're laughing all the time. We really are. We have fun. Sometimes too much, but that's okay. Yeah. If too much fun is your biggest problem. Yeah. I think it's a good problem to have. Totally. <laughs> Bill, thanks so much for being here today and wishing you all the best with your eventual retirement. Thanks, Jim. After the break, we'll talk with Eliza DePardo from TD Ameritrade 
about the many considerations that advisors should keep in mind when forming their business transition plans. FA Insight conducts proprietary research across the financial services industry, helping you gain a broader perspective on your business, determine areas that need improvement, and gather new ideas that help you make progress. The FA Insight Study of Advisory Firms report is produced annually, giving advisory firm owners critical data for benchmarking their firm's performance against peers. TD Ameritrade institutional clients are invited to visit the Education Center for additional FA Insight resources available on a complimentary or discounted basis. We're back, and I'm here with Eliza DePardo, co-founder of FA Insight, which is a research and consulting firm that serves the U.S. financial services industry. She's also the co-author of the FA Insight Annual Study, as well as the author of a range of white papers and research that TD Ameritrade produces, and a management consultant to RAAs. Eliza, thanks for talking with us today. Jim, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Do you consider there to be a, quote, right time for advisors to start planning their transition? Well, the right answer is as soon as possible. I think that the longer the runway that you can give yourself when it comes to business succession, the better. So that old proverb, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is right now. All that being said, you know, it's, it's of course, um, for, for business owners, they all have to take a different approach to business succession. But what we know through our research is that about 9% of owners of RAA firms are planning to exit within the next three years. And if you're in that boat, you're probably going to have reduced options relative to other firms. We know about 23% of owners have about a four to seven year window before they intend to exit the business. So these firms have given themselves more options just by virtue of thinking about perhaps their, their succession in advance and giving themselves more time to put in place different options for them to pursue. That being said, I really do think that the best time to think about succession is from the very early days that you commence your business. That is at the entry point, you want to be thinking about ideally, how do you want your own role and your position as an equity holder to evolve over the years ahead? And you might not have much clarity at that point, but you should certainly be able to consider whether or not you're going into business to really build a career for yourself within the business and whether you intend to really be there for the long run or you might feel like you want to get the business to a certain size of revenue and then be able to reduce your equity position either in part or fully or you might even know early on that you want to have business partners to help you along the way. So I do think that irrespective of where you're at, certainly if, you, if you've got plenty of time, I would encourage you to start thinking about just the, the general direction that you would like to head in with respect to succession, because then you can start to make decisions along the way that help to support that general direction that you have. What are some of the key elements that should be included in a business transition plan? Well, we know that for most RIAs, a majority, they don't have a plan in place. There's a big gap here in understanding what to include in a succession plan. There are a few things that you really need to be focusing on. The first thing is to really consider your own preferred timing for a succession event. You may not have an exact sense of the number of years, but you certainly want to try and narrow it down. So think about what your timing looks like for wanting to exit either in part or in full. Also consider your own role in the business and how you might like to see your own role 
our responsibilities change over the years ahead. There are things, no doubt, as an owner that you really enjoy doing and there are things that you probably don't enjoy so much. So consider if you're in a position to be able to implement a succession plan, what are some of the things that you would like to see change within your own role? and in what time frame, And that will then help to inform the kind of skills that you're going to need in the business in a successor. And then, of course, in your plan, you really want to think about the characteristics of the successor. What sort of qualities do you believe are important to you personally? Making sure that you feel confident and comfortable in being able to transition the business um, to those successors. And before too long, you also really need to tackle the economics of transitioning equity. And that means, as an owner, getting a really good handle on valuations and at some point building an equity transition model that's going to support new owners to buy in ultimately, because that can really be a big sticking point. You mentioned that there's a real gap in the understanding of what to include in a plan, and so few RIAs have a working succession plan in place. Do you know why this might be? I think this is kind of a case of complacency just creeping in in many cases, combined with perhaps this view that it's just too complicated. And because it's too complicated, they just continue to put it on the back burner. But unfortunately, that decision can often just reduce the options that any business owner has when it comes to actually wanting to exit. So more than anything, we really think it's it's a combination of that complacency and and just a lack of knowledge and that hesitation that kind of sets in when you know that perhaps you need to do something but don't quite know how to go about it. That said, there are so many resources available and that can just kind of start to grow your confidence in being able to tackle the issue. Yeah, that makes sense. So what qualities should a business owner be looking for when choosing a successor to lead the business? Well, we actually have the data to support Uh, this particular issue, when we asked owners to share with us what are the things that they're looking for in a successor, 71% of these owners told us that character, values and cultural fit were in fact the most essential ingredients in identifying a successor. Now, thankfully, if you're implementing an internal succession, you will know very early on if those individuals within your business, that pool of candidates, if they are in fact a cultural fit. The second thing on that list is this issue of having a shared vision on the firm's growth strategy. And this is really essential. So what you don't want to be doing is bringing in potentially future owners that perhaps don't have the same level of motivation to grow the business or are just not aligned and kind of have a very different perspective on how the business should be growing in the future because that's going to create some conflict. Now, obviously, as owners, you need to be open to the ideas of others, particularly your future partners, but you really want to be sure that the level of aspiration and motivation is there and that you're all going to be kind of on the same page around the expectations for future growth within the business. And then also towards the top of the list is leadership and management abilities. So 36% of owners tell us that that's really essential as they're starting to assess future successes. The issue here is that you don't necessarily need a successor to demonstrate management capabilities because you could certainly recruit dedicated management 
that can come in and do an incredible job. And those individuals may not even have any real appetite for ownership in the business. So there may be, for example, fantastic chief investment officer or research team members that perhaps don't have the management abilities, but they bring to the business other incredible skills that are important for the sustainability of the firm. And that should absolutely uh, make sure that they are included in the mix as future successes. The ability to engage with clients is really important, business development capabilities, entrepreneurial spirit. There's some of the things that really rise to the top. Now, for all business owners, this list is going to be quite unique, but you really want to think about what those characteristics are for you personally in your own business as you start to assess that pool of candidates that you have or you start to go to the market to recruit potential future owners. Mm -hmm. Definitely. How should a business owner's retirement plan change the closer they get to their retirement date? You know, what should you be thinking about 20 years out versus 10 years versus five years? Well, I think the timing makes a huge difference in the way that an owner is going to plan. So if you're 20 years out, you're probably really thinking more in general terms. And that is, well, do I want to get this business to a certain size and then start to sell off part of the business or all of it? Do I want to bring in new partners along the way? Am I planning to be here for the rest of my career? I think you have to contemplate early on what are the risks of uh, concentrated equity? And there are benefits to it for sure, but then there are also plenty of risks that are associated with that. And you want to really understand what the trade-offs are. But start thinking in general terms, certainly 20 years out. As you get towards sort of 10 years, eight years, that's really where, particularly for an internal succession, you need to be paying far more attention to the quality of the candidates that you have within your business. Think about whether or not you're grooming the successes effectively and really building the skills that they're going to need to be able to sustain the firm. Do we need to recruit these individuals? Maybe we don't even have a large enough firm to be able to affect an internal succession or a pool of candidates that we believe could really step into an ownership position. And if that's the case, well, we have to really turn our attention to our recruitment practices and making sure that every single recruit could potentially come in as a partner and fulfill the succession plan in the future. And then, of course, as you get closer, that plan has to be far more specific. You want it to be really customized for your business. So at about five years, it's really time to make sure that those successes are in place in the business and you want to start really testing out their capabilities and that means actually transitioning some of the key accountabilities before you transition equity. So for example, you're going to perhaps hand over some high value relationships to the successors to see how effectively they can manage these relationships and whether you have confidence in their abilities because what you don't want to do is kind of leave it to chance and just hope that the hunch that you have pays off and that when you're ready to actually transition, things just work out because oftentimes it doesn't happen. As you test out, you'll be able to refine based on your pool of candidates who is really shining as they take on more responsibilities and who maybe is struggling and perhaps there's a need to do some more development for those individuals to help them really continue to progress. So it just means becoming far more specific with your plan as you kind of get closer and closer to that succession event. What are some unexpected challenges regarding business transition that advisors might not consider? Do you see any common mistakes? So for example, I've seen this happen many times. If an owner is in discussions to exit with either internal or external buyers, 
the issue of your own role title and how your role will change in the business is going to come up. And that may not be palatable to you to have a change in role title. It may not be palatable for you to have the firm name changed or for organizational restructure in order to create greater efficiencies. And perhaps key team members that you've worked with for years may not be retained. So if there are things that will really make you think twice about going ahead with a transaction, you just want to know what they are in advance and kind of think through, try and spend time thinking about those issues to see how much flexibility do you really have and are these likely to be deal breakers? This whole idea of having to take a step back from the business, perhaps not having the same routine that maybe you've had for your entire career and being able to be the one to call the shots, be the go-to person for solving issues in the business, having that kind of control and responsibility. Giving that up can be extremely emotional. And I've seen owners hold on for years and years because they really don't know what exactly they're going to do or what their worth might be, unfortunately, once they start to relinquish all of these accountabilities. So it does come down to a great deal of emotion and self-awareness to try and work through some of these challenges. I imagine patience plays a pretty healthy role in this entire process. Yeah, it does. So the time frame that a seller has in mind is often not the same time frame that a buyer has in mind. And so the process for transitioning ownership can often take far longer than what is first anticipated. So the due diligence that goes on, just getting to know each other, making sure that all parties are comfortable, going through the valuations exercise, all of these various components of activity that have to take place really do take time. This may take longer than you expect and you may actually have to be involved longer than you anticipated at the outset. And I think, uh, again, more time you can give yourself for these types of transactions to take place, the better, because buyers are not going to operate on your schedule necessarily as a seller. Can we talk about what happens if circumstances might prevent you from being able to create or stick to a really solid transition plan? Maybe something unexpected comes up that forces your hand in some way? Well, it's a really important point to make. There is a distinction between a business succession plan and a business continuity plan. So in some instances, unfortunately, owners will experience some event that prevents them from continuing to work in the business. There might be a serious health problem that comes up that means all of a sudden, as perhaps a lead advisor and a founder, you can't continue to work in the business and serve clients the way that you have previously. So in that instance, what you need in place is a business continuity plan. And you don't want to wait to an event takes place before you put the continuity plan in place. Now, the continuity plan is also incredibly valuable if there is something like a natural disaster that takes place or there's some kind of a technology breach. But as it relates to this ability to continue to provide advice, particularly for smaller businesses, individual operators, you really want to identify another advisor or another firm that can step in to support you and take over the relationships in the event that you're not able to take care of your clients. And this means doing a range of activities like how do we manage the portfolios? How does the designee within the continuity plan 
take over the management, the running of the business, ensure that all of the bills are paid as an example. So there's a, a bunch of things that you would want that continuity plan to cover off so that at least in the short term, and we might be talking six months, we might be talking as much as 12 months where that continuity plan kicks in to kind of fill the void whilst we're having issues that mean that as an advisor, you're not able to serve your clients and operate within the business. And then the succession plan can kick in. So if it becomes apparent at some point that you're unable to return to the business as a result of these unforeseen circumstances, then the succession plan can deal with issues around whether we look external to find an acquirer for the firm we go to the market, or we look internally if we've got internal successes to be able to fill that void again. But you want to buy yourself some time. Ideally, every business is going to have a continuity plan and a succession plan that work in combination. But of course, the way things work for many businesses, it's not the current state of play. What about, you know, if the decision to exit the business ultimately doesn't come down to you? For example, what if others in the firm think it's time for you to leave and you are maybe unprepared to start transitioning your business? This is more common than you might think, actually. Um, I have seen over the years many instances, again, where there's majority shareholders perhaps really are holding on to that equity. They don't feel quite ready to transition for a host of reasons. Maybe they really don't feel like emotionally ready to step away from the business or they are not yet confident in the successes that they have, which is a much bigger challenge. I do think though that this does require some real consideration for what's in the best interest of the firm and the next generation of successes as well as the existing leadership team, you know, beyond sort of that perhaps primary owner. Um, certainly in these circumstances, you will find that will create incredible challenges amongst the leadership team. It will create division amongst the leadership team. You'll often find senior executives wanting to perhaps check out of the business, walking away um, from the opportunities that they thought that they had there because equity is not moving quickly enough. You'll find that more junior team members who believe they're on a succession track will become impatient with the lack of movement on the implementation of the succession plan and they will often leave to pursue other better opportunities which are more immediate for them. So there are real downsides for ignoring the needs of the rest of the business and wanting to kind of continue to push through and remain as involved as you can in the business. So I would suggest in that situation, again, you've got to look inwards as, as an owner, as a founder. There's certainly very difficult decisions to make, but the risks that come with concentrated equity are great. And if you don't find a way of being able to really implement the plan that the way you'd hoped, you might very well find that in fact, you have to identify a very different path that maybe you need to sell externally in a short amount of time, which is not going to be ideal. You'll have to make other compromises along the way that are not so palatable. So um, really it's a question of just thinking about what is what is in the best interest of clients, what is in the best interest of the leadership team, what is in the best interest of the next generation of leaders within the firm and try to make a decision uh, not just based on your own perhaps emotional reaction to a sale. And I know that, again, is a big ask for many owners. You spoke earlier about shared values, culture, character, the kinds of traits that many business owners look for in their successors. 
Is there a downside to focusing on these factors? Of course, we want to enjoy the environment that we're working in. We want to feel like our team members share those same values that that we do. I think that's essential. But I want to make a distinction here because whilst culture and values are incredibly important and you want to get the right fit when you're recruiting, you also need to think from a succession perspective that actually I might need very different skills to what I currently bring to the business. I'm not necessarily going to be looking for a business partner that has the same set of skills that I have. In fact, you can gain a major advantage if you bring in brand new capabilities, areas where you might be weak and really then be able to better leverage that that new partner and their skills more extensively across the firm. So you're not necessarily looking for another you when it comes to bringing in a successor. Of course, values and cultures have to be aligned, but think about the areas where you may not be quite as strong, where you think the business could benefit, say, from deeper, let's say deeper expertise in people management. You might look for someone who can bring a range of skills, but has a particular strength in that area so that you can really strengthen the overall business by adding in that new partner. So it's not necessarily about just replacing yourself, although I absolutely believe that the values and culture are essential to think about with every single recruit, whether or not they are going to fulfill a succession plan in the future or just be an instrumental part of your broader team. Eliza, thanks for sharing all this great advice with us today. It's been absolutely my pleasure. Thank you, Jim. Thanks again to Bill Gettings of Gettings Reed Financial and Eliza DePardo of TD Ameritrade for talking us through their perspective on how firm owners can approach retirement after building up successful practices over the years. And thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in to our final episode of Season 2 of Beyond the Portfolio. It's been great to share these stories with you. For more resources on all the latest topics advisors face, visit tdai.com and click on Insights. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Portfolio. If you like the show, be sure to rate, Review and subscribe today.